Amen. It's good to see everybody here this morning. We'll just listen every once in a while and hear some rain coming down. Yeah. I think we're going to hear a lot of that this week. Um, <clears throat> a couple of things that are just some, some good news this morning. It's good to have Truett and Chloe, the new Mr. and Mrs. Treadaway in the service. Yeah. Glad they're here. And if you remember, uh, several weeks ago, we prayed for Keith Tucker, who was going in for open heart surgery. He's here this morning, right over here. So it's good to see him here. And the Lord is at work in his life, and we're grateful for that. Um, this week, of course, in the news, um, a lot of things are happening. But one of the things that is of importance to us as believers is what is happening in Israel. Uh, God's heart is for Israel, and it should be on our heart as well. So, amen. I would like to ask um, Jeff and Barry Seif to come to the stage and speak for just a moment on uh, what they see is happening there and uh, ask Barry to pray. Y'all come on up uh, this morning as we join alongside her and um, a lot of folks who are praying for Israel during this time. Let's give a hand to Jeff and Barry Seif. Shalom or shalom, y'all. Y'all, yeah. And, uh, uh, I really appreciated Pastor Brian's heart. And in this series, he's really spoken about spending time with God on a daily basis. And our God is a covenant God. Amen? Yeah. None of us would be here without the covenant that God had regarding Jesus. And that includes Jeff and that includes everybody. But when we look at Israel, and I want to encourage you to get off fake media because there's so many lies. And if we take everything through the Bible, through its lens, you'll get the truth. And that is what you all are here. As we leave this building, we're going on into the world to speak God's truth. And so to remember that covenant, God's promise with us regarding our salvation in Jesus, and also Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jeff and I are Jewish, both parents from the heritage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so is Terry right over here, whether you know it or not. We're three Jews and many opinions, okay? <laughs> but this is the opinion, God's opinion, and so when you see Israel, and we love the God of Israel. All of us love the God of Israel. The Israel of God is mixed with politics and different ethnicities, but it is the God of Israel. And that, I want to encourage you this week at least to look at the Bible and look even just in the very beginning part of Genesis where God says, you know, I'm going to give you um, to Abraham uh, the inhabitants, you know, more than the stars, more than the sand, but the land, and God is a covenant-keeping God, and so when you look at Israel, you know that's God's promise. We don't hear about all the other ites that are existing anymore, but we hear about Israel and the Jewish people, and the Jewish people need Yeshua. They need Jesus, and by God's grace, Jeff and I and Terry, are, and all of us are believers, but I'm just going to pray briefly regarding this. Uh, just a couple of things that we've seen that usually the skirmishes in Israel don't last long. They eventually get to ceasefire, but it's overall, it is God against all odds. God has come through from Israel. 
from, from Genesis, and then we're going to learn to maps, okay, Revelation. So let's, let's pray as God's corporate people here, covenant people. Abba, Father, B'Shem Yeshua, in the name of Jesus, the name above every name, El El Yon, God Most High, Lord, we honor you, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for this church, this, our, our wonderful church here in Ovilla, Texas, that is a light to the world. And we thank you, Father. We thank you that you keep your promises to us, to our country, and to our beloved Israel, because you're the God of Israel. And so, Father, we ask for protection. We, we, we realize that we are looking at a political, spiritual battle, but you're God, and we trust that you're going to bring good results. But we know, too, Abba Father, that there will be no peace until the Prince of Peace comes. So use us, your people, to just speak peace into this situation, to pray, Father, for the peace of Jerusalem, the peace of Israel, her borders, the region. Lord, please help. We call on you, Abba Father, and we say thank you for hearing our prayers, and you will act because we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. glad you've joined with us today. I'm going to hand this off for just a moment, hopefully. Leave that there. We are in the middle of our series called Spiritual Adulting. And, um, you know, throughout the scriptures, the culture of believers always valued maturity. You find that in the Old Testament. You find uh, Proverbs saying things like, the silver-haired head is a crown of glory. A lot of times we get some gray on us and we think we need to cover it up pretty quickly. We don't want anyone to see that. But that's more of a modern culture thought than it is a biblical culture thought. Bible culture honors age and wisdom. That, that verse I just read, the silver-haired head is a crown of glory. It goes on to say, if it is found in the way of righteousness, when there is someone who has walked with Christ in faith and years have passed and you see their faithfulness, they are to be highly regarded and respected. They are a necessary part of the community of faith. And we also find in Proverbs that it says the glory of young men is their strength and the splendor of old men is their gray head. It ought to be a glory that you carry years of wisdom and experience. That should be what we live out as a community of faith. We don't have to look like the world. We're not going to. It's not, that's not our goal. But inside our community, we have high regard for those who have experience in the faith and who have walked in righteousness. They are held up and respected and to be looked to. But that's not the culture of our day. The culture of the day says that age really kind of discounts you from having an opinion anymore. Age makes you out of touch. Age makes you of no relevance. And adulting is seen as a, a mockery almost, as something, well, we have to do these things. No, they ought to be things that we treasure and look forward to and assume with great joy. But you find this, uh, this spirit in the culture of 
kind of looking down on adulthood and adulting in a lot of memes. We've been looking at some over the past few weeks. I thought we'd do a few more today. Here's a few memes. Yikes, that's going to be a problem. Let me make a few adjustments here. I really have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just wiggling my mic. Let's look at a few memes here and see how this goes. So here's, a, here's an adulting meme. Mozart wrote his first symphony at the age of eight. I'm an adult, and I rehearsed what I'm going to say in the drive-thru five times. That, uh, I think that rings a bell with some people in here, not to mention this front row group over here for some reason, right? All right, let's look at another meme here. Uh, being an adult is like folding a fitted sheet. No one really knows how, right? You can relate with that. So uh, another one is... You know you're an adult when you get excited about a new sponge in the kitchen sink. You know, that's a new set of priorities there all of a sudden. I, I recognize that one. And then our last one today, I wish I was a little kid so I could go take a long nap and everyone would just be proud of me. That's kind of how uh, adulting goes. You want to take a nap and not be uh, made fun of for it. But um, adulting should be something we look forward to with great joy and own it and, and take honor in that. So we've looked at a definition for adulting over the past few weeks. We'll use that again today. Accepting the responsibilities necessary for becoming a mature adult. This is part of adulting. It's part of life. You accept responsibilities. You own them. And you do them. You accomplish them. Spiritual adulting, our definition we've used, is this. Accepting the responsibilities necessary for spiritual growth and maturity in Christ. Did you know my role and our staff's role is to encourage you to know how to feed yourself. That's really the goal of ministers and pastors and staff is to equip the people to be able to be mature believers and feed themselves. So that we come together here on Sunday, I hope you're not depending upon me to give you your spiritual food for the entire week. That'd be a lot of pressure. And you would fizzle out by about tonight, right? I'm here to encourage you to turn to God's word, turn to Christ, depend upon the Holy Spirit, own your own maturity and independence and dependence on him and grow up in the faith. That's the staff and the pastor's role. So that's what we're doing here. And this has always been the task of the church and those who lead in the church. And so we have to be up for that as believers, to accept the responsibility. We can't be like the culture that says today, I don't know, that's just too hard. I don't want to do that. You know, if something comes along that's too challenging, deny it. You know, if it's too difficult, avoid it. If it could hurt someone's feelings, sure, don't be involved in it. But that's not who we are as believers in Jesus Christ. Amen? We own our faith, we own the responsibility, and we accept the challenge of faith. Yes, it's a challenge to spend time every day in God's word. It does not just accidentally happen. You don't just walk through your living room, stumble and fall with your face opened into God's word and read a verse and say, oh, I'm changed. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen randomly. It doesn't happen accidentally. It happens when you intentionally put effort into it, driven by faith and seek God. And those who seek him will find him. If you're not seeking him, don't complain at the end of the day that you didn't find him. He waits for those who look for him. So the encouragement is, let's assume that responsibility, no matter how challenging it is. We issued the challenge three weeks ago for during this series to accept 60 days of adulting. 
that we would do the work of growing up in our faith. And so here's been the challenge. Take time every day to spend in God's word. I'm not going to tell you how much time because across the room we're all different places in our faith with how much time. But here's what I would say. Get into scripture. Read until God speaks to you. When he speaks to you, stop and then apply what he said to you that day. You will begin the discipline of not just reading, but hearing and doing. And that's where the value is, is in not just hearing, but doing what he says. Amen? That is spiritual adulting. That is doing the work of being an adult in Christ. And that happens, again, with intentionality. It happens with discipline. It happens with hard work. Adulting takes work. Spiritual adulting takes work. So I've entitled our message for today, Spiritual Adulting Means Doing Hard Things. The hard things. Sometimes those are the things we avoid. Sometimes those are the things we put at the bottom of the list of to-dos for the day. Sometimes those are the things we just really would prefer not to do at all and pray that somehow they would come to pass without me having to do them. You cannot bypass the hard work of spiritual growth. You can't bypass it. You can't hope that it'll somehow happen through osmosis, that it'll somehow just happen accidentally, that it'll somehow just happen naturally. It happens with intentionality in our faith. Today we look at a passage that illustrates this. 2 Samuel 23, 8 through 10 is where we are today. If you want to turn in your Bible there, I'll give you a little bit of context. It's near the end of David's life. David, the warrior, David, the king, David, the man after God's own heart, is nearing the end of his life. And he's making a list in chapter 23 of some of the men who have been the most valiant of all of his soldiers. And David has had at his disposal a million men. That's a lot. It's a lot of people. And he lists in chapter 23 some of the greats, the some 30 plus great men who really were his most valiant warriors, his mighty men. And out of those, he lists three. And out of those, we're going to look at two. And out of those, we're going to zero in on one. One of the top three guys in David's million man army that were his most prized, valiant warriors. I'm going to read the passage. Mm, this is really going to be a... Yeah, okay, that's just... Sorry. I don't want to just leave this dangling. Go back to this approach. All right. Second Samuel 23, verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, Beshebeth, the Tachmanite, chief among the captains. This guy was the lead of the lead. This guy was the chief of them all. He was the baddest of all of them. He was the dude of all dudes, the warrior of all warriors. He was also called Adino the Esnite. Because he had killed 800 men at one time. He didn't have a nuclear bomb. He didn't have missiles. 
This dude at one time killed 800. This is not fairy tale. This is truth. This actually happened. This man was the most trusted warrior in David's army. Verse 9. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. That's a name, not a description. The Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David. When they defiled the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day and the people returned after him only to plunder. What a fascinating description of two of David's mighty men. Our message today focuses on the second of these, Eleazar, whose name means God is my helper. Look at verse 9 there. It says that the Lord brought about a great victory. Oh, let's go back to 9. Sorry, that's verse 10. Let's go all the way back. Here we go. Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahoite, one of the three mighty men with David. He was the number two guy. But I want us to focus in on what made him great. What brought him to this place where God did something great in his life. Let me just set this up today. God is looking to do something powerful in your life. Not just the person next to you, not just the people on the church staff, you. So as we go through this today, I want you to keep that in mind. I don't want you to discredit yourself because if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you belong to him. He's chosen to do a work in you. The thing he's going to do, do in you is not about you. It's about him. He's going to do something great in you if you will follow what he says. Amen? So just set that down as our foundation today. God wants to do something greater than what you know, greater than what you can even fit into your mind, he wants to do that in your life. It happened for Eleazar. It says in the second part of verse 9, this happened when they defied the Philistines, which is another word brought forward that means Palestinians. They've always been in conflict with Israel. The Philistines. Conflict. It was the Philistines who sent in Delilah. It was the Philistines who sent in Goliath. It's the Philistines who had always been after the Israelites. They were the ones who were in the land when God gave the land. They were the ones that needed to leave when God gave the land. They were the ones who fought against the people of Israel. They were the ones who resisted God. They were the ones who had refused to follow the Lord. They were the ones who had other idols. They were the ones who were immoral. They were the ones who were cruel. They were the ones who were mean. They were the ones who were godless. And here they are battling Israel again. And it says on this one occasion they, that Israel had defied them, had got the upper hand on them. We know that David had defied them in the past when they killed their giant Goliath. How embarrassing for a boy to kill the warrior of the land. And it says here that 
when they were gathered together for battle on this one occasion, that the men of Israel had all gathered at that place to do battle with the Philistines. But this verse ends with those two words. Those men had retreated. Israel came up against them in battle, but when they saw the Philistines approaching, when they saw the number of the Philistines, when they saw their size, when they saw their anger, when they saw their plans, the men of Israel looked with their natural eyes at what was coming at them, and they all turned and ran. They retreated. There's nothing that says that their king David told them to retreat. There's nothing that says a command was giving, pull back, pull back. There's nothing that told them they ought to retreat. There's nothing that says the three mighty men of David retreated. In fact, they are positioned in the battle when everyone else chooses to leave. And these three men are left there in the battle. The army retreats. The army in fear leaves. It's in those moments that normally anybody else would say, what? I just got left out here? I'm out of here. That's normally the moment you would decide this number looked overwhelming to begin with, but now it's just three against that? We're out of here. But when you're a man of faith, when you're a woman of faith, you choose to stay in the battle regardless of what the size of the enemy is. Regardless of the anger of the enemy, regardless of the strategy of the enemy, because you have one on your side who's bigger than the enemy. Amen? And here, they choose to stay in it even though everybody else has retreated. Now, I'm going to make four points along the way today, and here is our first one in our message for spiritual adulting. Never let the size of the fight determine if you will fight. Don't ever look at the size of the enemy, what they are strengthened with, how they are organized, or even listen to what they are saying. Don't let any of that determine if you will fight. You're going to face enemies bigger than you. You're going to face opposition greater than you. You're going to fight in this life you're going to face some battles. You're going to face some financial battles that are going to seem bigger than you. You're going to face some relationship conflicts that are going to be bigger than you. You're going to face some health issues, potentially, that are greater than you. Some parenting issues, and all the parents said amen, that are bigger than you. There's going to be some marital issues that at times are going to be bigger than you. There's going to be some circumstances. There's even going to be some cultural opposition to us and you that are going to be bigger than you. It's just part of this life. In this life, all who are godly will face persecution. And in those moments, you will be tempted to be like the men of Israel who saw what was coming and said, I'm out of here. You'll be tempted to check out. You'll be tempted to leave the situation. You'll be tempted to run to another place because of what's coming against you. 
But that will be the moment that God is about to do something great if you'll stay in the fight. You see, what's going to happen, I'll give you a heads up, you already know the rest of the story, but at the end of this story, Eleazar is going to become a victor. He'll have his name mentioned. God is going to work through him. God is going to glorify himself in this situation because he chose to stay in the fight and he didn't run. He didn't do like the rest of the men of Israel. Don't ever let the size of the fight determine if you'll fight. Don't ever let your feelings determine if you're going to fight. Don't ever let the resources that you have on hand at the time determine if you will fight. Instead, let God determine if you will fight. And if he says fight, you fight. I don't care what you have in your hand. I don't care if you're outnumbered one to a million. You fight. You stay in it. You stay in it and you fight for your marriage. You fight for the heart of your spouse. You fight for your children and their heart. You don't give up. You don't check out. You stay in it. You fight for victory over those habits that you know are destructive. You don't give in, give up. You fight. You stay in it. You stay in the battle. Maybe it didn't happen that you got victory in the first week, the first month, or the first year. But you stay in the fight. You keep fighting because God says fight. You keep counting yourself dead to sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. You stay in the fight. You stay in the fight to gain financial freedom. Don't look at how many credit card bills you get. Don't look at the number of zeros that you owe. You stay in the fight that says, God, you've called me to freedom. And I will pursue you and discipline myself to do what you've called me to do. Amen? You stay in it. You make faith a priority in life. Regardless. It doesn't matter if everybody else checks out, walks away. You stay in it. You stay faithful to the fight. You fight for what seems impossible because God has led you to it. You don't back down because it's hard. You don't back down because the opposition's big. You don't back down because others retreated. You stay in the fight. Every one of us today have a fight. You've got something in your life that is opposition to you right now. You've got a challenge bigger than you right now. And I know the enemy well enough to know he's doing all he can to get you to check out of the fight, to give up in it, just to let go of it and just surrender to him. But I know our God enough to know he's not calling you to that. He never calls you to give up, surrender to the enemy, to your flesh. He says, no, you believe, you trust me in what I say, not what you see. So our first point today, don't let the size of the fight keep you from determining if you'll fight. The passage goes on. This says this man, Eleazar, he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary. Now, this verse alone is moving and motivating 
But you got to know this verse follows the last one that says, all the men of Israel had retreated. They were left alone. Eleazar and David, they're there. And the rest of the guys retreat. And then Eleazar, he arose and attacked. That's crazy stuff, right? That's crazy faith that says, I'm going to get up against all odds and do what everybody else thinks is ridiculous. I'm going to fight because my king is here. My king is in the fight. My king has a battle. And if he's in it, I'm in it. If he's moving forward, I'm moving forward. I don't care what anybody else says or does. I'm in the fight. And I'm in the fight to the death. He, it says he arose and he attacked. He got after it. He knew he was outnumbered. He knew he was probably outgunned. But he knew he would not be outdone because he was with his king and God was with him. Eleazar did not let, not only the circumstances outwardly, but he didn't let anything inwardly stop him from getting up and fighting. He didn't let his own physical condition. It says he fought until his hand grew weary, tired. He was done. He'd had enough. It'd been a long day. It'd been a difficult fight. It was emotionally draining. It was mentally confusing. But he's still in the fight. He keeps fighting even though his hand is weary. He keeps fighting. He doesn't let his physical condition affect him. He doesn't let his feelings drive him. He doesn't say, oh, that hurt my feelings that they all left me. I just feel so alone now. I just all by myself. What am I going to do? I need a counselor to help me now. Nothing wrong with counselors. But look, you cannot let your feelings drive the cart of your life. That's what we're watching today is a, a world that has left God out, removed faith from the equation of life, and replaced feelings on the throne. And so whatever I feel is what I do. If I feel offended, I act out. If I feel sad, I withdraw. If I feel like you've been mean to me, I lash out at you. Feelings drive the cart for so many people today. But that is not to be who you and I are within the kingdom. Amen? We are people who are driven by faith, and we tell feelings, backseat, buddy, and I mean the way back. Okay, we're in a minivan of faith, so you get in the second seat way back there. You don't get to drive. You don't get to sit behind me and tell me where to go. You follow. Faith leads. Amen? This is who you and I are. This is what we have to do. This is what adulting does. Adulting says to a child, to a preteen, and to a teen, look, life is not about your feelings. Life is assuming the responsibility for yourself. Get a job, go to work, earn a living, provide for yourself, make some home repairs, do the thing. You're an adult. Amen? This is what you do 
with spiritual people as well. Accept the responsibility of faith. Stop letting your feelings drive the bus. Let faith drive. Let Christ lead. Let him be the one. Eleazar didn't let his feelings lead. He didn't let what was natural lead. He let what was supernatural lead. He didn't let his flesh lead. He let the voice of God lead. Which brings us to our second big point today. Never allow the flesh to lead. You know, we all have um, filters we use to make decisions every day. You're faced with options in your life. And when that happens, you have some checklists that become a filter for you. of Whether or not you're going to make this decision. Whether or not you're going to act this way or that way. What your attitude is going to be. What your choice is going to be. The action you're going to take. You have a filter that makes those decisions. And the Bible says that we have two basic options. You can let the Spirit of God lead in that moment. And He be the one that tells you when to move, what to move, and how to do it. He says, I want you to trust me. I want you to prioritize me in your life over all things. And I want you to walk in obedience to me, regardless of how you feel. That's walking in the Spirit. That's walking in the the ghost power of God that says he leads. The Bible says you can also walk in the flesh. You can walk in the way you used to live without Christ. That is the flesh. It's not just the skin stuff that we have on us, but it's a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking of who you were, again, before you knew Christ. It's a way that's very self-protecting. The flesh is very self-seeking. It wants the glory. It wants the attention. It likes it comfortable. It likes it easy. It doesn't like to be offended. It doesn't like to go the way of faith because it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. It doesn't understand it. That's all the way of the flesh. And if you let the flesh lead, it'll always screen out through your appetites. That's what the flesh likes to do. It'll tell you. I'm offended. I'm hungry. I want attention. I want intimacy. I'm using code words because there's kids in the room. Are you with me? It's what the flesh does. It says, I have to have these or I'm going to be angry. I have to have my way. I want my my goals, my appetites, my desires met. I go first. Me, 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 me. That's the flesh. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to say to the flesh, you are dead to me. Those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh, the Bible says. We've put an end to it. 
It doesn't drive anymore. It doesn't lead anymore. We put it behind us. We put it aside. We recognize it. It doesn't get to make the choices anymore. Romans 8.13 says, If you live according to the flesh, here it comes, you will die. That's what Paul said in Romans. If that's your course of life, If that's the way you live, just listening to your appetites, your urges, and your feelings, you will experience greater death. You will live empty, frustrated, disconnected from all that God is wanting to do in your life because you're listening only to your urges. But Paul wrote in Galatians, those who are Christ's, they've crucified the flesh. They said, you don't get to take the lead. This is not your bus anymore. Jesus drives it back off. And we learn as believers in how to shut that voice down. Because boy, it likes to rear its head even after you've become a believer in Jesus Christ. You know that, right? You, you recognize that voice ever? You ever get in a conflict with your spouse and all of a sudden this urge comes up to want to say something you shouldn't say and be extra loud and cruel and mean? Hello, that's your flesh. If you give in to that, you'll die. Hello? Not a lot of head nod going on in here. That means you're either not connecting with me at all or you're very much connected with me but don't want to admit it, right? I get it. The flesh is like that. The flesh says, feed me. The flesh says, give to me. The flesh says, I'm not trusting God. The flesh says, I'm not surrendering my life to him. The flesh says, I'm better than all those other losers. The flesh says, look at me, I'm important. The flesh says, I like looking better than everybody else. The flesh is all consumed with itself. And the flesh is ugly and cruel and very Philistine-like. It doesn't like to submit to God. It doesn't want to surrender its ways to God. But if you're going to be a grown-up in the faith, you have to recognize flesh, you don't get to lead anymore. As a mature believer, spiritual adulting means I listen to the voice of God. And if it goes in opposition to my flesh, so be it. In fact, I like it more. I like to put the flesh in its place. You know, that's part of why we have the discipline of prayer and fasting. Let's just go ahead and get real uncomfortable. You see, fasting is saying, faith, spirit, you lead, and I'm going to tell body, flesh, appetites to take a back seat. Fasting is a way of denying the flesh, the appetites, and the urges, and saying to your body, Jesus means more to me than that fast food stop. Hello? Whew. Man, fasting is a way of saying, God, I want an appetite for you like I have an appetite for food. And so I'm going to limit my appetite for food so it will increase my appetite for you. Stay with me. Because when you start telling your body that it doesn't get to lead with all of the appetite choices, and you start with food, you'll find yourself being able to control that appetite urge. 
You will. You'll find yourself saying, I'm not giving in to you again. This is now a new routine. I'm going to walk in. I'm going to fast, and I'm going to control the appetite of food. And when you can control the appetite of food, you'll find you can control a lot of other appetites you've got with as well. That you think, man, how am I ever going to defeat that appetite for, you, you fill in the blank, whatever it is. You do it by developing the discipline of fasting. It is part of the way of putting the flesh in check. It's part of the way of putting the flesh in its proper place. You do not get to lead. The Spirit leads. Amen? Got awfully quiet. You good? All right. So we go on here in our story, 2 Samuel. <clears throat> it says that Eleazar, he, he fought till his hand was weary. But it also says this. <clears throat> he fought and his hand stuck to the sword. It didn't tell us the time frame for how long he fights. But he's fighting him and his two brothers, which one is the king. They're fighting. And he's got a sword. A sword. A single weapon. And he's got it in his hand. And he's slaying Philistines right and left. He's going after them offensively. And he's protecting his king defensively. He's stationed. He's positioned. He's rock solid. He's not moving. He's not giving in. He's fighting and he's slaying the enemy just one after another. And this goes on and on. And the Bible says it goes on for so long that he's held this sword in his hand that his hand becomes stuck to the sword. It has conformed itself to the sword. And just imagine when the battle is over, they're like, whoo, man, God brought about a great victory that day. I can't get it out of my hand. It was stuck. His hand had been fixed to the sword for so long. His hand so tightly grasped around it. Such a fix on it. Such familiarity with it. Such experience with it. Such passion with it. That when the battle was over, it was still in his hand. He couldn't even let it go. You couldn't tell where his arm ended and the sword began. You couldn't tell. It was all the same. His arm became one with the sword. Now, we come to the scriptures as it identifies itself. As the Bible describes what the Bible is. And the Bible refers to itself as a sword. As a, a weapon. As something powerful that we use to fight off the enemy. Something that we use to fight back and protect the kingdom. To protect our family. So we pick up the sword, the word of God, and we use it. Paul would refer to it in Ephesians and say, it's the sword of the spirit. This is the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 would say the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So that if you and I are going to be spiritual adults, if we're going to grow up 
if we're going to assume the responsibility of warriors, if we're going to be what we've been made to be, which is not just soft and easy and nice, we've been called to be the kingdom warriors. We've been called to be the pillar and the ground of truth. We've been called to be the salt and the light. We've been called to be ambassadors for Christ. Then we have to pick up the sword and we have to fight with it. Amen? We have to know it. We have to grip it. And we can't let go of it. It should be that you can't tell where we end and the word of truth begins. You see, it should be that you, when you and I speak, you can't tell where our words end and his word begins out of us, right? It ought to be that what flows from us is consistent with his word because we carry the sword of the spirit with us. Amen? So our third point is this this morning. Never allow anything to weaken your grip on God's word. Now, stay with me for just a moment. I want to I want to go just a little bit deeper into this idea. <clears throat> in the scripture, in the New Testament, there are two words that describe the word. Okay? Now, when you and I read it in the English, it just says the word of God. But when Paul, well, for example, uh, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. That word for word is the word in the Greek, logos. It's the word that means very objective, written word. Word? You with me? It, it's, a, it's the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, the logos. But in that verse, I just quoted to you from Ephesians, where it says, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. It is a different Greek word. Not the word logos, but the word rhema. Still means word of God in English, but an entirely different meaning. It means to get a message from God that is very personal to my heart. That changes me. So you can have the Logos word, and when you read the Logos word, it gives you a word. Amen? So, for example... Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the Logos, Word of God. For me, about 20 years ago, that Logos Word became an important rhema word to me. It hit me in my heart where I had been carrying guilt and all of a sudden, that written word became a powerful message word in my heart that said, there is no condemnation now in Jesus Christ. Whoo, I'm telling you, that set me free in that moment. Yes, the Logos word became a rhema word. What was in print became in my heart and it came alive. It became something fresh. And so in the New Testament, when it says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. If you want to be a powerful warrior who carries around a sword, 
it's important to carry this around, but you can carry this around without having anything in here. Carry the logos, but live out the rhema. This is the sword of the spirit. When that verse that you read comes alive in your heart, boom, it becomes powerful. It becomes living. It becomes active. When you read the verse that says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that became alive to me. And I was changed when I realized I'm not a believer because I'm in this pursuit of trying to obey God enough for him to love me. No, I have been radically transformed because Jesus fulfilled perfection and gave his life for me so that I could be declared righteous. That is a rhema word for me from the logos word, the scriptures. Amen. Do you follow me this morning? That's why I said to you in this 60 days of adulting, read until God speaks to you, then move on that. Learn to take what is in the written, put it in the heart, and live that out. That is adulting, spiritual adulting. That is growing up in the faith. Yes, it's intentional. Yes, it's difficult. But yes, this is where the power comes from. This is where the strength comes from. Let's go on in the verse or the passage. In verse 10, it says that as a result of what Eleazar did, he stood when everyone else had retreated. He got up to fight. He held on to the sword even when he became weary. He held on to it so tightly that his hand stuck to it. It says, as a result of that, the Lord brought about a great victory that day. God did something great that day. Say, so, well, couldn't God do whatever he wants whenever he wants? Yes, he can. But God chooses to do what he wants often through us. He chooses weak Sinners, pours his love out on them, sets them free from their guilt and their shame, and they fall in love with him, and they choose to obey him. And when that happens, and they stay in the fight, they stay in it regardless if anybody else does or not. They stay in it even when they get tired. Their hand is so tightly gripped to it that you can't Heal it away from them because it's not just in their hand, it's in their heart. When someone has that kind of faith and they stay in it, God always brings about a great victory. That's what happened for Eleazar. The Lord brought about a great victory. God loves to show himself strong in those who will seek him, love him, walk in his ways, and keep doing it regardless. Others may leave, I'm going to keep following my Lord. Others may turn away, I'll keep following my Lord. It may be difficult, it may be painful, but I'll keep seeking my God. This is when God does great things. This is when glory shows up. This is when God is glorified. Sadly, because of the spirit that's in our land today, Believers buy into it. 
And we get into a measure and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you for my marriage. I'm going to trust you for my parenting. I'm going to trust you in my finances. I'm going to trust you in my career. I'm going to trust you with my personal life. And they get into it, and it gets hard. And they say, you know what? I don't have time for all that stuff like I used to. I got other things I'm doing right now. I got work and life and kids and stuff. And, you know, I just got stuff to do, just busy. Look. God wants to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are surrendered to him, who will stay in the battle, who will put their hand around God's word and not surrender, not give up. Those are the ones that he will choose to do his greatest work in. It's Eleazar who gets his name mentioned here in God's eternal word while it says the men of Israel retreated. It's also fascinating to me that it says here that the people returned after him. After he had accomplished his battle. After he had obeyed God, stayed in the fight, hand to the sword, not go up when he's weary, can't shake it from his hand, slew the enemy, did all these things. It says that then when he was done, when they had won, all the people came to get the plunder. All the treasure was there. All that the Philistines had left was available. And they all came and got it. And at first you might think, that's not fair. He did all the work and they got all the plunder. He sacrificed and they got the benefit. He did all that work and they got to receive the treasures afterwards. Yeah, that's how the gospel works. He does all the work, and we enter in for the treasure. He does all the work, and we enter in for the benefits, and we do so by faith. And look here. Now, as followers of Jesus Christ, we do the same. Dads, you take the lead in your home. You be a spiritual leader in your home. Don't look at, well, I'm doing more than my wife, my kids. I deserve a break. Look. This is not about you getting a break. This is about you doing the work of being a spiritual leader. And you're doing it right if you're doing the work and your family's receiving the benefits. Hello? That's spiritual adulting. You choose to say, I will be the one who initiates spiritual conversations. I'll be the one who initiates prayer. I'll be the one who gets up early and seeks God. I'll be the one who leads in this family spiritually. I'll set the tone, set the example your wife and your children will benefit when you do. Amen? Amen? And this is who we are to be as believers. Others may retreat, but we will not. Others may walk away, but we will not. We will stay faithful to our God, do the hard work, no matter the cost. We'll do the work of believing and trusting in ministry so that others can benefit. We do that work. We do it as dads. Moms do it. Couples do it. The church does it. We do the work that we do here as a church. Praying, ministering, giving, so that others might come in and receive the benefit of what Christ has done. Amen? This is what we do. This is what it means to do hard things. Our last point today, and we'll wrap this up. Never fall for the lie 
that your fight doesn't matter. The enemy is whispering. I hear him. He's whispering right now in this room to try to get you to not believe this truth, to say, dude, you can't believe all that guy's saying. You cannot fall for that. Your life is not all that important. Your life doesn't matter. You could never be great in the kingdom of God. You could never see the kind of victory that Eleazar experienced. That's just not going to happen. Your scene is too worse or too bad. The, the, the evidence of your life doesn't show that God's going to do anything in it, and it's all worse than you think. No? Jesus is Lord of our lives. Amen? And Jesus is at work in our lives. He is working to conform us to the image of himself. He is changing us. He's at work in us. He's growing his kingdom. He's expanding his church. The gospel is being proclaimed. Lives are being changed. Disciples are being made. And our lives matter. You may be a stay-at-home mom. Do not believe the lie that you don't matter. You're raising up disciples in that home. You are teaching children the way of life. You're teaching what it looks like to trust God in difficult times. Fathers, your work matters. Getting up in the morning, seeking God, trusting him, believing him, praying in secret matters. It's your battle. You're setting the tone for a generation. You want your children to rise up and follow the Lord, then be the example. Your fight matters. And our fight matters in this day. As the church, we cannot shy away. We cannot pull away. We cannot shrink away and think our voice doesn't matter anymore. We cannot listen to the lie that says, shut up and get back in your spot on Sunday mornings and leave the rest of the world alone. No, we will not buy that lie. Our fight matters. It matters because there's a generation today that is dying from not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish I could say they were dying to know, like the song. I had to, I had to turn those words in my head. They're dying because they don't know. They're dying because they're walking away. They're dying because they're resisting. But this is our day. This is our day to stand up and say, this is the way. This is the way of life. This is truth. This is the way of freedom. And we will not shrink away from that. Amen? So let us be spiritual adults. Let us be that kind of mature believers who will not shy away, who will do hard things. Bow your hands with me as we pray. Father, your presence is here. Your word is true. And you have a purpose for us. A purpose greater than what we know. A purpose greater than what we often believe. But today, we choose to believe you are at work, you have a purpose for us, and we will do even the hard things. We will not let the flesh lead. We will not let the enemy deceive us. We will do what is challenging because it comes from you. And there's great reward for those who will stay in the fight, grab the sword, and refuse to ever, ever let go. God, we will be that kind of warrior today that we might be mighty in your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Stand with me as we sing this morning.